Good morning once again, everyone. <clears throat> I hope everyone has had a blessed week and are ready for another look at who Jesus is in the Gospel of John. Still in chapter 6, as we can really, this is kind of, uh, even though this is the fourth or fifth message in this series, this is really like part two of last week's message and what's going on in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. Uh, while you're looking up John chapter 6 and getting out your notepads and getting comfortable with that, I'll tell you about, uh, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but there was a rabbi and a Catholic priest and uh, an evangelist all went fishing together on this lake in a small boat, a little John boat, and they all were trying to catch a few fish here and there and having some fellowship, and they weren't really catching a lot of fish where they were. Um, so the rabbi just kind of stepped out of the boat and walked over to the shore and threw his line in over there. And they, after a couple of minutes, the, uh, <laughs> the Catholic priest did the same thing. He's like, I'm going to go over there too. I'm just, maybe I'll catch some fish over there. So he got out of the boat and walked across the water and stood on the side of the bank and started fishing with the rabbi. And then uh, the evangelist sits back in amazement and he's like, whoa, maybe I need to go over there. Maybe I need to do what they just did. Because he was more amazed about the fact that they got out of the boat and walked across the water. So he jumps out of the boat thinking he's going to walk over there where they were and he fell right into the water. Gets himself back in the and he's all drenched, drenching with water all over him, and he's spitting water out and whatever else is in the lake. And he's like, well, certainly, certainly there's something different that they did that I didn't do. Let me try that again. So he jumps out the other side of the boat, and the same thing happens. Water over his head. He's floundering around trying to get back in the boat, and then he tries it one more time. He's like, I'm going to try it again. He jumps out of the boat, and he almost drowned this time because he's tired of trying to swim. And the rabbi looks over at the Catholic priest and says, y'all think we ought to tell them where those rocks are that we stepped on? <laughs> I heard that uh, the other day, and it's an, I'm pretty sure it's an older illustration, an older, older story. And I, I figured since we're going to be talking about Jesus uh, and his, the event where he walks on the water, it would be fitting for today. Remember last week when Jesus was teaching and people were following him lots of people were following him and a lot of people uh, were following him because where it says in verse 2 of chapter 6 because they saw miraculous signs he had performed on on the sick all right keep that in mind as we talk this evening or this morning whatever day this is just keep that in mind because the reason people follow jesus is important to understand it's more important to understand, for me, why do I follow Jesus? Or for you, why do you follow Jesus? Okay? So, they had been noticing and hearing about Jesus and his miracles and his teachings. And uh, one after another person just said, let's go hear this for ourselves. Let's go see it for ourselves. Let's go listen for ourselves. And then next thing you know... Thousands of people are following Jesus around. And what did Jesus say to Philip last week as we read? Uh, 
these people are going to be hungry. What should we do about that? Remember that? What are we going to do, Philip? And uh, we figured out that uh, they found out that there was uh, some fish and some bread that Jesus used to feed the entire crowd. Not only a little bit, but as much as they wanted until they were full, and then there were plenty of leftovers, and hopefully understanding that Jesus uh, is the bread of life, which is going to be more of the same in this week's message. But I want to look at, before we get into verse uh, 16, let's, look, let's remind ourselves of verse 14 in chapter 6. Because these two, these two things that happened, they go hand in hand as far as Jesus setting up the lesson to be learned, right? By the disciples, by the religious leaders, by the, the, uh, the other disciples, the, the many, the thousands, the crowds, and even those who read the word today. He says in verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, talking about feeding the, those thousands of people, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Not a prophet, but the prophet. That's what they began to refer to as the promised Messiah that they learned about way back when they studied under Moses. Their forefathers were told uh, by Moses the promises of God, the laws of God, and that, that God would send a Messiah in, into the world. And so they began to refer to that Messiah as the prophet, the one who is to come into the world. Then in verse 15 he says, it says, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Understand that, first off, as we mentioned last week, no one or no group of people is going to force Jesus to do anything. Okay? Keep that in mind. And part of the reason we can know that is because when Jesus stands before Pilate, bleeding after he was beaten, he tells, he tells him, he's like, nobody takes my life, I give it. No one's going to force him to die. He freely allowed himself to die on the cross, right? That's, that's, that's who we're talking about. And then he withdrew again to the mountain. Why? Because what they wanted him to be was not who he is and who he was sent there to be. Okay? Side note, put that in your mind. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Jesus is not always what we want him to be. But he's always who he is. We could say amen and go home right after that, couldn't we? Well, I'm trying to figure out what you're saying amen to now. <laughs> uh, all right, here we are. So we go into verse 16. Let's read some more about what's happening here. He says, he says when, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. So everybody's laid back on the grass with their bellies full, and evening came, and it says the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Let me help you all out. There we go. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed, verse 19, three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were 
terrified. I, I don't know about y'all, but if I saw any person or critter walking on the water, I'd be a little afraid. Wouldn't y'all? And, and, and especially if I'm in a situation that's already full of anxiety. And if these fellas are full of anxiety because of a storm in the night, you can bet it was a pretty good amount of a storm going on because these guys spent their lives on the water fishing. They know what it's like out there. It says they rode three to three and a half miles. That's not very far in my opinion. But my opinion is uh, rooted in the fact that we have cars and boats and motors and all kinds of technology to get us where we want to go in a fairly decent amount of time. Before all of that, in these days, walking and rowing were the mode of transportation, and it took a while. But these guys should have been a little bit further than what they were, but the, the, the storm was hindering them. The wind was blowing. I don't know if you've ever been in a small boat when the wind's blowing, but you're not really going anywhere unless you're going to where the wind's blowing you. Or you're burning a lot of calories, to let you know. I remember we were at Real Foot Lake, me and a good friend of mine. We had a little John boat, probably 12 foot, I think. And this guy, he, he didn't like to spend a lot of money. And so he would buy the cheapest things he could find, which I'm not opposed to that. But he was so bad that he would buy stuff that wasn't worth anything. And he, he, he got this little John boat, and he got a, a, some kind of, I think it was like a three-horse motor that was built in 1960-something, which is fine if it works great, but it didn't work great. It, it would never stay running. And we drove from Indiana to Tennessee to go fishing because we heard that the crappie down there were large, right? And we didn't really have a whole lot of money. We were like hardworking guys, and we, would, we had enough money to get down there, camp out, and fish, and get back home. Well, we didn't know that because Real Foot Lake is so shallow that if the wind blows a little bit, it creates like white cat waves all over it, and it's hard to be out there and fish. Well, we got out there, and all the way down there, I'm asking, did you bring oars? Did you bring this? I'm going through the checklist, right? Sure enough, we get out there, and the wind starts blowing, right? We do have the trolling motor, but the wind starts blowing, and the boat starts rocking. And this guy's, I don't know, 6'2", 6'3", pretty big guy. And, of course, the motor quits because it's a piece of junk. So here we are in the middle of the lake. The motor quit, and we're, we're kind of floating around, and I'm looking around, and there's no oars in the boat because we forgot the oars. So we crank up the trolling motor, and we get, it seemed like we made some progress back to where we started on the shore, but no, once the battery died and the motor, that motor quit, it, we were further away from where we were trying to go than when we started. Because the wind was blowing us one direction and the battery was trying to make the motor go this way and we just weren't making any progress. Next thing I know, I'm in the back of the boat holding on to both sides trying to stay in the boat and my buddy, who's 6'2", he's got the anchor and a rope and he's whipping it around like this here and he's throwing it ahead of us and grabbing stuff and pulling us to the shore. Done that for at least an hour and a half until somebody finally come out there and pulled us back to the shore. About three miles down the road 
from where we parked the truck. That's what I think about when I read what's going on in this story. These guys had oars. They had everything they needed, but they still couldn't make much progress. And they were getting weary and tired. And then suddenly, here comes Jesus walking, walking up, you know. What's up, fellas? How you doing? It says they were terrified. Right? It doesn't take much for people to go from being full of anxiety or even fearful to go from that to being terrified. If we're living in fear, it doesn't take much to go into terrified. Especially when you're seeing what you think you're seeing is not really what you're seeing, and it's actually the blessing that you're looking for. Yet you're terrified. You're terrified. However, he is God in the flesh. So he is to be feared. So there's that, right? He says in verse 20, here's his response. He's like, hey, it is I. Don't be afraid. I don't know about you, but I don't walk around saying it is I. Who's at the door? It's I. No, don't do that. But Jesus says it is I. You notice that Jesus, if you read through the book of John, the gospel of John, over and over again, he's constantly saying I am this or I am that. Right? Remember when Moses was talking to God when the bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning? And God said to Moses, Get, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground kind of thing. And, G, and he's having, having this argument with God about going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then he says to, he says, he says to God, who should I tell them sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent me. And then here's Jesus again saying, it's I, I am. He's going to say it again here in a little bit. He's showing, he's showing the disciples who he is by what he's doing. It's always setting up the lesson. You notice in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, when you read the account of Jesus walking on the water, it's a little bit more detailed than what John shares with us. It's almost like John just mentions it and skips right over it. Right? Because then he says in verse 21, he says this right here. He says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Well, the, part, if, the, the best research I could do, it, it, it talks about how the part of the, of the sea that they were crossing was approximately four to five miles of a trip that they were on. So they're already three to three and a half miles, so maybe halfway or a little bit more. When Jesus comes out, he gets in the boat, next, and, and instantly they're at the other side at their destination. Now, there's a lot of people in the world that just have a hard time wrapping their mind around this being true, how it happened. They have to come up with these scenarios. Well, they were, maybe they were rowing the boat against the shoreline because they were afraid of the storm and they just saw Jesus walking on the shoreline. Maybe they were already almost there and by the time they got to the shoreline where Jesus was, that's how they got to the other side. Remember last week when I said we have a bad habit of, of not believing things that don't work out on paper? If it doesn't make sense, if we can't work it out and, and it doesn't make sense to us, it must not be true. But we're talking about Jesus, Son of God, the Savior, the miracle worker, the only miracle worker, right? If any disciples 
who studied under Jesus went off and did miracles. They did it in the name of Jesus. Right? Not in their own name. In the name of Jesus, they were doing miracles because Jesus sent them out to do those miracles. Then it says in verse 22, let's not skip over this real quick. Notice it says they were willing to take him into the boat. And you, you sit here and you're like, who wouldn't be willing to put Jesus in the boat with them? Right? But then when you really think about that question, there's a lot of people right now today that are not willing to let Jesus in. Even though they see who Jesus possibly could be or really is, because once you let Jesus in the boat, then he's the captain of the boat. Some people, maybe I used to be one of these, maybe this is why I know this. Some people are happy with being the captain of their boat as long as Jesus walks on the water alongside the boat. Just in case I might need him. In case something happens. Right? No, he needs to be invited in the boat. And notice it says they were willing to take him into the boat. And when they took him into the boat, it says, John says, they instantly were at their destination. But what's your destination? What's this all about? What's this life all about? That's how, that's how I ended up going, go, going to the Lord and saying, I need Jesus. Because I started thinking, what's this going to work every day and coming home, paying the bills and going back and doing it? What's this all about, this rat race that we all live in? What is it for? To what end? Because we're all going to die. And we can't take it with us. So what's it all about? What's it for? What's the end game here? What's the purpose You know, they immediately reached the shore. That was their goal. They were rowing in this storm because Jesus told them to go to the other side. And once they invited Jesus in, they arrived. It has to be something more than what's in this world, this life that we're living in this world. It has to be something beyond the life that we live in this world. I'll give you a clue. Eternity with God. Pretty easy clue. I mean, if, if there's nothing, if, the, if it's all for nothing, then why even do it? So, when I found out there was eternity and life with God for eternity available, then I'm like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense now. If it's not about what I can gain in this world, but what I can gain in the life everlasting, then yeah, that's, wor that's worth all of my energy. That's worth all of my mind and soul and heart. That's worth getting up every day and doing something productive. Right? Now let's go. Verse 22, check this out. He says, the next day the crowd, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. So 
So they're back where the disciples started. These are the people that are, they got up in the morning and they're like, mm, I'm a little bit hungry again. They, they, had their, they had their sardines and their nabs, remember? Now they're wanting some bacon and eggs. And they're looking around like, where'd the cook go? That's what's happening. And he says, he says this, they realized that only the one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone, but they had gone away alone. Then, verse 23, some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Here it is. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search, in search of Jesus. They wake up. I don't know about you, but if I eat a good meal, I'm probably going to be asleep for a little bit. Especially the next morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be like, ooh, man, we're going to have to get something to eat. I'm kind of hungry. Digesting a good supper makes you hungry for a good breakfast. Just letting you know. Plus, it's however long you sleep, you're not eating. Breakfast is the best meal of the day. Just ask, uh, just ask Peter when Jesus made fish on the bank of the shore one morning. Notice the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search. They went in search of, they were looking for Jesus. You ever been that kid? Maybe you weren't, but maybe you were. Maybe that, you were that kid where you're just like all, constantly telling all your friends, hey, wait up, wherever they're going, they're just like kind of leaving you behind or you weren't ready and they're just, they're just going and you're just constantly trying to catch up. That's, that's where they're just like, hey, where'd Jesus go? They're not here. So how do you think they got from where they were, where they had eaten all the fish and bread, to where Jesus ended up on the other side of the sea? Because the disciples took the boat. Jesus just walked across the water over there. So it must not be the fastest way to walk around the bank, but that's one of the options. Well, either way, they go looking for Jesus. And verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him. Oh, oh pass it up. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they were like, Hey, when did you get here? Not, thank you for feeding me last night. Not, well, that was cool that you walked across the water. It must have happened that way. It's like, when did you get here? I wonder if they asked that question because they were a little bit upset because Jesus didn't tell them that he was leaving. Jesus didn't ask them, could he go over there? How come you didn't tell us you were coming over here? How long have you been over here without us? Maybe. But he's like, when did you get here? Here's what I like about this entire event, that John, the way John explains it. Here's, here's Jesus' result, the result, here's Jesus' answer. And we're going to go through a little bit of scripture and then we'll be finished for today. Jesus answered in verse 26. He says, I, we read this last week, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Picture this. Here they come from one side of the sea to the other. 
the next day, and they come walking up with their menus open. Jesus, how long have you been here? What's going on? Where you been, man? And they've already picked out what they want for breakfast. You see what's happening? And Jesus looks at them and says, um, you're not looking for me because of who I am. You're looking at me for what, because of what you think you can get. You're looking for me because of what you want me to be. That's what he says. That's his answer. You notice that he doesn't even talk to them about the fact that he walked on the water. Matthew goes into great detail about that event because Matthew's trying to say something different about Jesus. True, but show something different. Mark does the same thing. John, he points it out just because it's something that happened in the middle of this lesson that Jesus is teaching the world about who he really is. And, and sometimes we learn who Jesus is by learning something about ourselves. Who we are and who we're not. He says, you're looking for me because, not because you saw miraculous signs, not because you see who I am, but because I fed you some free food last night. And by the way, uh, this came to my mind after last week's sermon. If Jesus, I don't care if you like sardines or not, but if Jesus talks to God and blesses them and says grace over your sardines, they're going to be the best thing you ever ate. Wouldn't you all agree with that? There ain't nothing finer dining than something that Jesus prays over. Could be a pile of mud. And they went for more. Verse 27 says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to, uh, to eternal life, which is the Son of Man. Uh, excuse me, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Read that last week. They traveled a little ways, a few miles, to catch up with Jesus because they saw that Jesus could give them what they thought they wanted and needed, and they wanted to force him to be their king in this world. We're going to talk about playing politics. That's what they're doing. And Jesus is like, you're not, a, you're not looking at what's going on. You're not seeing who I am. And what you want is not what you need. And it's certainly not what I'm here for. Don't, don't, don't work so hard to try to get the things in this world to make you happy. To feel like you've been sustained. To, to feel like your needs have been met. We work so hard Every day, we spend so much energy trying to meet our own needs that we don't even see who Jesus really is in the middle of it all. We don't even see that Jesus has already met all of our needs. Just because we don't see it sometimes, or we don't feel it sometimes, or we maybe even sometimes we don't want it the way God wants us to have it. Newsflash. God doesn't have to ask me or you or anybody else who Jesus is going to be. He doesn't check with us. We check with him. Right? 
And way too many times, we are just like these people chasing Jesus down and trying to make him something that he's not. Because it's what we want him to be or what we think we need him to be or we're not happy with who he really is. Because it interferes with us being the captains of our little John boats. You can't be a follower of Christ. He cannot be your Lord and you still be the king of your kingdom. It doesn't work. Surrendering to God is surrendering my kingdom to his kingdom. And therefore my kingdom no longer exists. And he is Lord of it all. And when in Genesis chapter 3 he tells all of existence that sin has entered the world and he's going to fix it. We don't get to ask or demand anything about how he's going to do it. He gets to say how he's going to do it. And the way he did it was Jesus in the flesh to be put on the cross so he can be resurrected, so that your and my sin can be forgiven because he loves us. So if we're looking at salvation, we're looking at praising God because we have an opportunity to be in his presence and be filled with his Holy Spirit and be completely full and overflowing with whatever it is we need spiritually to feed on, if we're excited about that, then who cares how it plays out throughout the time of our life? Because every single one of us are going to go through some things that we're going to uh, praise the Lord about and enjoy and brag about God for the rest of our lives, and then there's going to be chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, and not every chapter is pleasant. But God gets the glory in every chapter of a believer's life. Right? Because Jesus is Lord. And he is everything that we need. He will always be everything that we need. So these Jewish people here. They're, they're looking at. They're looking. They're following Jesus. They're chasing him down because they're in this habit of doing something to be in the in the right standing with god that's what they've always been taught that's what the law is all about that's the way god set it up for them but they're not understanding that grace jesus comes to complete the law and now grace is in play and there's no more to do but it's just to believe and that's why when they ask the question in verse 28 what must we do to do the works god requires and Jesus' answer is in verse 29, God requires belief. That's what God requires. Well, what, well, why does James say that faith without works is dead then? Because it's true, for one. But the believers, those who believe who Jesus really is, automatically have a desire growing in their heart to do the things that God calls us to do. Regardless if we're in the valley or on the mountaintop or somewhere in between. There's always a burning desire to love God and love people for the believers, for the ones who really know who Jesus really is and they're not trying to serve a Jesus that they've created in their own minds. They're, we're trying to serve Jesus, our Lord, the bread of life, the one who 
if he didn't exist, we would have no hope. The one who sustains us every day. The one who puts joy in our hearts. The one who brings comfort in our pain. The one who brings strength in our weakness. The one who gives guidance in the darkness. He's the one who loves us when we're unlovable. He's the one who encourages us when we're discouraged. He's the one who laughs at us when we're being silly. He's the one who's proud of us when we are faithful. He's the one who brags about the faithful. He's the one who died on the cross, willingly gave his life. Verse 35 says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. When we read this scripture, when we study God's word and and the teachings of Jesus, we have got to find a way to get our minds off of the literal and think about the spiritual things that Jesus is talking about. Because he goes on and on like this. In verse 48, he said the same thing. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the desert and they died. We talked about that last week. He again said the same thing in verse uh, 51. No, 58, excuse me. You need to go home and read chapter 6 today and ask God to make it who you are and what you're, what you're about. Verse 53 says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. If we walk around town, you go to your neighbor's house or you go to your family, and you're like, um, I'm a Christian and, and we eat Jesus' flesh and we drink His blood. Why don't you join us? If, that was a, if that's the way we present Christianity, there would be a lot of people in this world that would think there's something wrong with us. I mean, there already is a lot of people who think there's something wrong with us, but that's, that's a little bit unusual because that's not how our culture is. Well, these people that he's talking to, there were certain things that God said were unclean to eat. And they were forbidden to partake in any kind of consumption of food that had blood in it. So Jesus is saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You ever seen anybody get like visibly appalled or offended? And they stand back, they're like, (gasps) (laughs) that's the way they would have reacted. That's That's what they would have done, and that's where they are. On hearing this, verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? This can't be the prophet. This can't be the Messiah. Listen to the way he's talking. The Messiah would surely know God's laws and would not be saying these things. So this guy can't be him. We can't accept this. It's too hard. It's not that they didn't understand it. They didn't want to receive this teaching. Then they were, they were grumbling about this, and Jesus said to this, in verse 61, does this offend you? What if, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Then he says, there are some of you who don't believe. He's he's telling them, "I'm I'm not saying this physically eat my flesh and physically drink my blood. I'm talking spiritually. Which is where you you don't know how to think. You don't know that. You're not understanding that. And you will not allow yourself. Then he looks in verse 66. He says, from this time, from, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I'm talking about the crowd that ate all the fish and bread and they weren't getting any bacon and eggs. Oh. Now it's crystal clear who Jesus is and that's not who we wanted him to be. So we're out of here. We can't, we're not into this. We're not into this. And he looks at the 12, the fellas, and he says, do you want to leave too? Are you in or are you out? Jesus is the bread of life. He is life. He's the son of God. Too many times over the history of the gospel, has it been preached in a way that was misleading? It is, it is wrong to approach someone and say, Don't, do you want to go to heaven? Here's how you can go to heaven. Because that means the gospel is about you. The truth is, if you believe that Jesus is a Christ, you can be in a place we call heaven, the presence of God. That is the blessing of being a believer. Right? But the gospel is not primarily so that you can be safe in heaven. The gospel is specifically so that God can be glorified. Because whether a person saved or not, God is still glorified. You get it? Just because a person doesn't get saved and they leave this world and go to a place we call hell, which is total separation from God, doesn't mean that God is not glorified in that. Jesus is the same regardless of what we choose, whether we let him in the boat or not. He's still Jesus. And he's still God in the flesh, Savior of the world. That's Jesus. He loves you. So much that he would give himself on a cross and he would die so you can be with God forever. And if we think that the gospel is all about a free bus ticket to heaven and that's it, then we've made it about us. If, if we really understood who Jesus is, if we really know who Jesus really is, whether we're saved or not, we would be telling people about Jesus. If, if for some reason... It wasn't possible for me to be saved, but I still know that Jesus is the Christ and that someone else could be saved. I would still tell somebody, there's no hope for me, but you can still be saved because this is who Jesus is. But that's not the way it is, is it? The way it is is anybody can be saved if they just believe that Jesus is the Christ. Anybody. It doesn't even matter how bad things have gotten. I don't even care what you did last night that offended God. I don't care what you did on the way to church this morning that offended God. You can still be forgiven. 
because of the grace that Jesus provides. Because he is the bread of life. And there's nothing that can interfere with that except for man's will. The only thing that interferes with grace and, and me is me. If I say to Jesus, nah, I don't really want you to get in the boat. No thanks. Stay right there though because I might need something from you. No. Total surrender. Getting serious in the book of John. Next week we're going to talk some more about who Jesus is. Think of, I want you to think about, pray about your understanding of who Jesus is, your understanding of your own salvation, your understanding of what it means for the lives of people around you. And then talk to God about the things that are going on in your life. And ask God, how can I help? bring more people to this understanding. Because if Jesus is just your drive-up window so that you can put in an order, you don't, know, you don't know him. I love you and the Lord loves you. We're going to sing a song right now. If you don't know Jesus or you want to be saved, now's the time to do it. If you're watching online and you need, need to know some things, get a hold of me, get a hold of somebody in the church or some other believer, and they will tell you about Jesus. Let's stand together and we'll sing.